In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps, inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill, climb your way. Join them for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with their heart-pumping playlist. Join them on June 13th from coast to coast as they come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Buffalo Beat. If you are joining us on the Athletic Podcast Network, thank you very much for doing so. And if you are on any one of the free avenues, thank you for listening to the show. And please remember to rate, subscribe, and uh, review, please, if you don't mind. My name is Joe Biscaglia. With me is my co-host, Matthew Fairburn, where we are journeying through another week of this ongoing offseason that just won't seem to end. And maybe, if uh, all goes well, maybe in like six weeks or so, maybe there will be actually some practices to discuss and things of that nature. But until, until such time, we, uh, we wanted to take a little bit of a view about what's ahead of the 2020 Bills. And just we, we've been analyzing this season, what it'll mean for all of these different players and, and things of that nature. And it kind of wraps into the discussion because oh, I started a series this past week over at The Athletic. And uh, and right now, by the way, you can get a 40% off discount on uh, your yearly subscription by going to theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat. But over there right now, I started off this hypothesis about what the Bills and Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott could value in terms of who to resign, uh, difference differences in evaluations of positions, how much individual situations factor into everything, and certainly specific ways, because the salary cap is going to become an issue before too long, specific ways for them to be able to continue to build the way that they want to without putting themselves in jeopardy the way that so many past Bills GMs did. So that's that's the basis of uh, of the articles over there. But I'm I'm curious, Matthew, when we're discussing this, the, the first draft class that comes due, obviously, is the, the class of 2017, which con- consists of Matt Milano, Deion Dawkins, and Trey Davius White. And while it's, it's the first class where they can start to re-sign these guys, there's also a bit of a... A, a difference maker here in the fact that perhaps there's going to be some lost revenue in terms of ticket sales, and that could infinitely harm the cap. And I wonder if that would actually hurt the Bills' situation of trying to resign these guys. Yeah, I think it could. I think it could for a lot of guys. You wonder how it would impact the market in terms of how much guys are going to get paid um, and how it might reset things. I think the Bills have given themselves enough flexibility to the point where they can maneuver a little bit um, and 
and they also, you know, the kind of reality of this situation is that they're not going to be able to re-sign absolutely everybody. Uh, that's not usually how it works. Um, maybe they'll be able to keep, you know, everybody from that 2017 class, but that might mean they sacrifice somebody from 2018. This is the first time we get to see them make decisions about their own guys. I know they had mm-hmm. Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson last year. Jordan Phillips was sort of their own guy, but he was claimed off waivers, so he wasn't yeah. their draft pick. And, you know, they traded Zay Jones, which I guess was a, de- a decision about, you know, one of their own guys. But, you know, in terms of legitimate long-term contract extensions, should they stay or should they go, this is the class that they have to make decisions on. And they're three players who at least two of them have a chance to come close to setting the market, Deion Dawkins and Tredavious White. Tredavious White probably has the best chance to set the market, depending on the timing. He also is probably the most likely to demand that, given the way that he's played. Uh, He would be justified in doing that. Deion Dawkins, maybe not so much. And um, Matt Milano... Um, given the injuries, probably not um, in that ballpark either. But I think there are three guys who are going to be very close to the top of the market, and maybe mm-hmm. they can get ahead of it and get a little bit of a discount. But like you said, with some of the uncertainty in regards to what the salary cap might look like, they also have to you know, give themselves a little bit of flexibility, which they have um, you know, in so- the way they've structured some contracts. But I- I'm going to be curious to see... Uh, it'll be the first hint of you know how they handle these types of things is what they do with those three guys. I think it's a really interesting litmus test for them because it's three guys who play positions that are fairly important. I mean, I would argue that of those three positions to their structure and their team and how they run their schemes, that the left tackle would be the most important of the three players notwithstanding here. It, the other two positions... I think based on how they've approached those uh, addressing those positions throughout their time in Buffalo and certainly before being a part of uh, the Carolina Panthers organization and how they they operated, you could argue that cornerback and that second linebacker spot is a bit more of a luxury than an, than a necessity, but it's still one that they would like to have if they have the cap space. So it's very much going to boil down to how everything gets structured. Now, I I will say with the Tredavious White stuff, I I really found it interesting. And, you know, just how they handled the Josh Norman thing, I, I do know that back in Carolina, they did want to get Josh Norman signed to a long-term deal. It just got a little bit too rich for them, and they ended up rescinding the franchise tag, and that's what set forth him going to Washington as a late, unrestricted free agent. But I do think with cornerback, they view it in their scheme as one where they can find a young player or a veteran player and get by if they needed to. This is a team that made the playoffs in 2017 with a combination of EJ Gaines and Philip Gaines as, uh, and Sharice Wright as their starting cornerback opposite Tredavious White. 
and additionally, I mean, they, they made it work with Levi Wallace, who was an undrafted free agent, and they, they, signed, uh, they signed Josh Norman to a very manageable contract to, as a one-year prove-it deal. So they don't really – it's not as though it's a, it's a dire thing that they need to spend a top-ten pick on. But if you find someone like a Tredavious White, you would ideally want to hang on to that. But I wonder what the point for them is where they go – is it still worth it to have a cornerback that plays predominantly zone defense? I believe the way that uh, Shiel Capadia uh, uh, termed it in his advanced metrics breakdown of the Bills this past season, and a bit of a preview for upcoming the upcoming year is that they were played the twenty fourth highest rate of man coverage in the NFL. So I wonder what the point is to where they go, okay, that's that's too rich for us. The other part to this is, with Tredavious White especially, is when you look at his situation, rarely do teams look to extend team extend their players who have a fifth-year option after their third season. It, it's, it's not a normal practice anymore. It's actually quite a rarity. I think there were three of them last year, and before that there was one player the year before, zero players the year before that, and one player the year before that. And, and so that's not something that teams look to do. So I, I wonder what, uh, what this will look like uh, a year from now when, we're, when we will probably be having this Tredavious White discussion. Yeah, the Tredavious White situation is a little bit weird because on the one hand, if you know, I'm sitting here and you know, we have to put ourselves in the shoes of, of Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. If I'm sitting here making that decision, there's depending on the price tag, I might lean towards saying a, a zone a guy who plays predominantly zone coverage maybe isn't worth the contract that sets the market. I don't know if they're going to have that same view, in part because Tredavious White was the first draft pick. Right, He's a guy yeah. who does, of this regime, or at least of Sean McDermott, He's a guy that does absolutely everything right. Um, he's somebody that they really, you know, that they trust. They they've believed in from day one. He's he's kind of everything that they look for, and he's done everything they've asked, and he's played really really well uh, over the last few years. So I think there's going to be a real effort from them to say, this is a guy that we want to reward. We want everybody else in the locker room to see that when you do things the right way and when you play well, you get rewarded, period. And that's nice in theory. And I don't think they would be wrong for paying him. But the third part of this is, will he want to take that type of contract. If it sets the market, I imagine he would say, you know, where do I sign? But if it gets a little bit contentious in terms of the dollar figure and how much they're willing to pay versus how much he wants, right? he's a guy who, I, who knows what he's worth. And he's a guy who has been frustrated at times by the lack of recognition he gets around the league. Not Certainly not in the building. He knows how his coaches and his teammates uh, and and the fan base in Buffalo feel about him. I'm sure he knows how um, opposing receivers, opposing coaches feel about him. But in terms of that star power, this is a guy who, you know, if he were playing in another market, 
would probably be a much bigger name. Um, you know, might be, he, he's got the personality to, to be in a lot of TV commercials and, um, you know, be raking in endorsement dollars. And, um, you know, it's not a slight on Buffalo. It's just a reality of the situation. So uh, I don't know where his head is, is at. And I think it's still early, like you said, to determine exactly where his head is at because he would be foolish to jump on a deal right now as well, um, considering that the market should go up. Now, you know, maybe that gets a little bit tricky with, with everything going on and the revenue, um, you know, on some uneven footing here. And maybe the market does fluctuate a little bit and the, the dollars don't just continue to climb at every position. But, uh, you know, traditionally, the, the longer you wait, uh, the more the market's going to rise. And I, I don't think he's worried or, you know, or his camp would be worried about his play slipping in any way. Uh, he doesn't have to capitalize on on a window here. He's had uh, he's been pretty consistent basically from the moment he, he stepped into the league. So uh, he's in. He's an interesting case for a lot of different reasons, and I don't think it's cut and dry uh, to assume that something gets done, but right. I, I do feel like Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott are going to be, are, are going to really want him to to be a part of what they're building long term, and maybe there's a debate to be had. I think there's a legitimate debate to be had over how valuable the number one corner is in a, a zone scheme that they play, but they'd be a worse defense without him tomorrow. Uh, and it would be, you know, pretty considerable drop off. So yeah. I, I think he's, he's maybe more valuable than your, your ordinary zone corner um, because of some of the stuff he does uh, communication wise on the back end and because of the way he tackles and because of the big plays that he makes. But um, it's a conversation they need to have. But I, I think a lot of the, the other stuff, the intangible stuff and the, the fact of the locker room paying attention to who you pay, I think that's going to weigh pretty heavily because that stuff really matters. And the, the culture that they're trying to build that they, they harp on constantly, that's the type of stuff that can, that can fracture it a little bit. If things get iffy and they they try to squeeze Tredavious white or or get cheap with him, other guys will notice that, you know, it's been an easy road to this point from that standpoint of, you know, obviously there was a lot of work that had to be done to turn over the roster, to fix the salary cap and, and to build this team in their image. But one thing they haven't really had to contend with is contracts and, and Mm -hmm. the, and the, you know, a lot of the, the messiness that can come along with that of, you know, you've got Micah Hyde um, has a couple years left on his deal and just saw Jordan Poyer uh, get paid you know, how's he going to feel? When's he going to be ready for a new deal? What are they going to do when, when he gets ready for a new deal? And then all of these younger players, um, you know, if Tredavious White were to, were to walk out the door, uh, because the bills weren't willing to pay him enough, you know, especially while they're in this window, you know, that would be, uh, something that could harm the locker room, something that they'll have to think about, but still, still a few, you know, a little ways away from being, under the gun to, to make that decision. I, I think, mm-hmm. you know, it's, yeah, it, there's still some time. Yeah. That's the, that's the right point there because uh, no doubt that he would represent a big thing to the locker room if, if they resigned him. Uh, and certainly 
this might be a completely premature conversation because they have him under contract for this coming year. They have him under contract again for the following season in 2021. And if they really wanted to, they could franchise tag him for 2022, making this effectively a three-year deal where they can control his cost. And then at that point, if you can't, (laughs) there's a couple of things that will happen. One, if you can't come to a long-term agreement after that, then you might be out of salary cap room in itself. And then secondly, they'll have already re-signed a lot of their core guys that they want to re-sign by that point. So it's not as though the message that um, that is sending with re-signing your own and retaining your own, everything like that, it would be lost throughout the locker room because they would have done that already. But I, I'm, I'm curious, just if you strip away the names and what they've done, if you had to rank in order of what is the most valuable to this Bills organization between left tackle, number one cornerback, and outside linebacker that takes 100% of snaps. How would you rank them and why? In terms of this regime and this coaching no staff, names, GM, right. uh, it's to me, I, I still think you need to go left tackle first. Uh, I, and maybe that's not exactly how they would look at it, but I think left tackle is is the most valuable of those positions given the scheme that they play on defense. Corners are super valuable in this league, but I think with the amount of zone coverage that they play and the two great safeties that they have, it's not as important as left tackle, especially when they're grooming a young quarterback and everything else. I just think left tackle should be the priority. After that, I'd probably go cornerback and then okay. linebacker, but those two are close, um, and they're not—they're also not all that far off necessarily from left tackle. But I, I would view quarterback, left tackle, and you know, probably pass rusher, whatever you know position. I, I think doesn't necessarily matter whether it's an edge or a or a three tech, but those being the the premier positions and then maybe a a step down would be cornerback linebacker um, wide receiver things like that but I think left tackle has to be number one especially when you're grooming a young quarterback who um, you know they're trying to get to be a little bit more patient in the pocket and everything like that I think that should be what you want to uh, and the the scarcity at the position right you know you you spend Mm -hmm. all this time developing a guy and in a league where it takes time to develop offensive linemen and you don't often get that time and it's not easy to just go out there and find a guy in free agency, that's tough. Uh, so I think Deion Dawkins, you know, I know we're stripping names from the conversation. Deion Dawkins isn't perfect. Um, I don't know that he's the best left tackle in football, but he's above average. And they, you know, went through the ups and downs with him. And I think that stuff matters too. the the scarcity of the position and and how tough it can be to find a guy at that spot. I think that pick was a good pick because he's above average. He doesn't have to be the Mm -hmm. best tackle in the league. So I still think that's that's a premier position that, um, you know, needs to to be treated that way. Uh, given what they've invested, time and resources. Yeah, as do I. And that's why I that's why I find it interesting about how 
we talk about these three players because, of course, Tredavious White has had the better career than Deion Dawkins. And there's really not a debate about that. But Dawkins has really carved himself into being an above-average to good, consistently good left tackle for you. Does he have some misses out there on tape, especially from 2018? Sure he does. Did he improve drastically? And and also, don't forget, he was voted a team captain this past year and is viewed in the locker room as a leader. And so that would also garner the attention throughout the locker room of taking care of your guys, especially with what he means throughout throughout the rest of uh, throughout the rest of the team. So I, I think Dawkins is going to be a priority coming up here. And that's not to say that Milano isn't a priority. I think they have the flexibility to do that, especially with Tremaine Edmonds still being three years off from getting a big contract. So they can do that and not have to worry about it. But when you look at Dawkins, there are two pole positions on the uh, uh, on the offensive line that they are going to look to address with premium resources. That left tackle spot and center is the other one, which we saw them spend uh, a lot of money on, not just on Mitch Morse, but also when they re-signed Eric Wood to that to that big contract extension ahead of the uh, 2017 season. So if they have those two positions locked in with guys that they really like then they feel like they can get by at the guard spot and and certainly figure out the right tackle spot as they go because that's not as critical of positions as say a left tackle or a center. So I think Dawkins will be will become a priority in this for that specific reason because I totally agree with you. Of those three positions if you strip the names, left tackle is the spot that you're going, okay, I would re-sign the left tackle. And it's not a slight on Tredavious White. It's just the importance of the position to the program. And I think for them, it would be in their best interest to see if Dawkins still has the same type of start to his season as they as he did his entire year last year. But even still, if, it, if they come to an impasse, I wouldn't hesitate on slapping the franchise tag on Deion Dawkins and and trying to get him to a long-term deal. This is not a position to mess around with. We saw last year, Arizona, um, they had DJ Humphreys, who really didn't have a great first three years of his career, had a, had a good fourth season, looked like he really found it, and they signed him to a three-year $45 million deal. So it's it's that's the going right, and the Bills are going to have to be very wary of that moving forward. Yeah, I don't think... You know, Dawkins will be near the top of the market if he continues to play the way that he did. Yeah, uh, and the, I agree. the Humphreys deal shows that, you know, that he's going to get quite a bit of money. I don't know if he'll necessarily take a discount, but he does seem like a guy that enjoys being in Buffalo uh, mm-hmm. a fair amount and enjoys this team and everything, you know, that going along with it, playing with Josh Allen. Of course, when it comes down to it, money. Um, money talks for a lot of players and um, the vast majority are going to take the biggest the biggest paycheck but I think he's another guy that you know represents what we talked about with Tredavious White in a different way I mean Tredavious White steps in first round pick starts right away was really good from the jump and has been you know one of their best players basically since the day they drafted him Deion Dawkins went through some ups and downs. Um, he had a bad year. 
they were hard on him publicly. Uh, they, they weren't shy about criticizing him. And he responded to it really well so far. Uh, we'll see what happens next year. But, you know, a guy that became a captain and uh, everything that goes along with that. So he's a guy that I'm sure they want to reward as well. It goes back to the beginning of the conversation. You cannot keep everybody. That's not how mm-hmm. it works. That's why there's a salary cap and there are decisions that have to be made. And you have to think about the 2018 class and then the 2019 class after that. And, um, you know, you have to kind of be planning a couple years down the road when you're handing out these big contracts, because unlike the contracts that they sign guys to in free agency, where they can structure them a certain way, because those are guys that are already at their, you know, in, in some cases at a spot where they're maybe not, um, they, they want that upfront short-term money, right? They want that that couple years uh, of good paychecks and they're not necessarily worried about that third year because of their age um, or because of the demand on the market. I think you're going to have a harder time handing out deals like that to these young rising players um, who are hitting the market in the prime of their careers. Uh, It's not to say you can't structure it in a little bit of a team friendly way uh, and spread things out, but I don't think you're going to necessarily get as much flexibility in those deals as you would in some of the ones that they've signed uh, unrestricted free agents to. So, um, you know, in that in that aspect, we'll see how many of these guys they can fit under the cap. But I do think making sure your left tackle is taken care of is is just smart business in the NFL. And they also have they do have the franchise tag, so mm-hmm. that you know gives them a little bit of leeway in regards to you know what they want to do with these these guys that are coming up but um the fact that they got jordan poyer done i think is uh, definitely helpful to the rest of this and uh, makes makes life a little bit easier because gives them the tag it gives them um you know a chance to you know obviously milano and dawkins are entering the final year of their deal yes. whereas Tredavious white has the extra fifth year um, and then you talk about the franchise tag. He's really under team control for quite a while. There's no rush there. Um, but the other two guys, uh, unless they want to use the franchise tag, uh, they got to figure something out. Yeah, I think the order of operations for those three, just because of how much time they still have and how many options they help, still have with Tredavious White, I think he kind of goes to the back burner at least right now. And then I think if you had to come down to it where you needed to put the franchise tag on one of those guys, you would much rather it be Deion Dawkins than Matt Milano because with Milano, it's a very basic, not at all nuanced um, tag number, franchise tag number that also includes pass rushers that are that are uh, looked at as linebackers. So you would want to get him locked into a long-term deal. I think they will try to get both Milano and Dawkins done. And I think they should try and get both those guys done. You know, Milano, like I mentioned before, Milano's potential deal and the the majority of the money would um, would be already spent on him, and the cap numbers of of course uh, would already be spent on him before Tremaine Edmonds comes due for a new contract of his own. And by that point, when Edmonds is due, then AJ Klein comes off the book. So it's well structured in that way, so they can get it done. But um, but when you look at just the tag numbers it wouldn't be worth it to put a franchise tag on Matt Milano for Deion Dawkins the the tag number last year was 
I believe, 14.8 million, which is just a shade under the average uh, value of what DJ Humphreys signed with Arizona last year. So it would be the going rate. You would get a good value. It would give you additional time to make sure Deion Dawkins stays in camp while you work towards a long-term deal with him. And at, at worst, you have him for another season while while your young quarterback develops. So I think that's that's at least how I would do it. Uh, we're going to segue into um, what you mentioned, the not being able to keep everybody, because I think that's the most important part of a conversation like this one. But before we do that, first, a message from our sponsor, Hydrant. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise, or meditation. But not everyone has the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com football. That's drinkhydrant.com football for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com football. All right, so let's get into some of these tougher decisions that they'll need to make. Not to say that re-signing Dawkins and Milano wouldn't be a tough decision because of, you know, down-the-line ramifications. But even still, it leads us to the question of, okay, well then, where do you start to say no? And that's such an important... Being able to say no is single-handedly what keeps teams sustainable as contenders throughout and puts them in uh, in line for other means of roster building, which our compensatory picks, or if you trade those guys away, getting immediate picks for, for, for those players. It's a very critical component to the proliferation of this Bills team and what they'll do. Because if you just start throwing around money at every single guy that comes due, then you are going to run out of space, you are going to handcuff yourself for the future, and you're going to say goodbye to some core components that you didn't want to say goodbye to as, as you move along. So I guess if... You had to pick one guy where it's like, all right, I don't know if they they would re-sign that guy. Who would it be and why? Oh man, it's yeah, tough I to, know it really is because they're pretty good. Yeah, it's it's tough to you know, I I still hesitate on Tre'Davious White. There's a lot we don't know about. I guess what this you know what the next few years are going to look like in terms of what the market's going to look like, what the salary cap's going to look like. And I think the big piece in all of this that they have to plan for, but they shouldn't necessarily assume blindly is going to happen is Josh Allen. Because you have to plan for it. You know, the, the fact that he could command a huge contract. But when you talk about teams getting into trouble... Usually it's there. That's the spot that teams get in trouble. It's not that often where you look at a team and say, man, uh, they really screwed it up by giving that cornerback all that money. 
you know, it's usually you look and say the albatross on that salary cap is that quarterback that they were forced into, you know, paying a whole bunch of money that he wasn't worth. And, you know, that's what ruined the Jaguars. That's what ruined, that's what's ruined so many teams uh, across the league is jumping to a conclusion on a quarterback or paying him because you feel like you're afraid of the alternative. Uh, you can look around the league at some of the guys that were drafted that, um, you know, they just kept getting big contracts. Um, so that's where I start because, you know, at this point, I think it's safe to assume they'll pick up the fifth-year option, uh, As bar, barring a complete collapse uh, from Josh Allen. If he stays about where he was um, or gets a little better and they keep winning games, uh, I think they'll pick up that fifth-year option. But it's not set in stone. Uh, the Bears didn't with Trubisky, and Josh Allen's not following a drastically different career career arc than, than Trubisky is. Uh, so this is where this year is kind of that, that pivot year for him. And I get the sense that they're so invested in him, um, I would say emotionally in some ways, um, and what they've surrounded him with and the resources they've given him and everything else, that that's what leads me to say, I, if you were asking me today, I'd say they probably pick up the fifth-year option. But they have to be very careful about that next contract. Because mm-hmm. it seems like every time we get to this point with, you know, across the league with a, with a quarterback, it's, well, you know, this guy got X number of dollars, so this guy has to get more, you know. And it's because of the position, and it's because the salaries just keep going through the roof. And Mahomes and Deshaun Watson are going to get new contracts. How close to those two guys are you willing to pay Josh Allen, number one? And number two, how close to that is he going to be able to demand? Has nothing to do with whether he's going to be worth it or not. Because if he's going to be in a position of leverage to demand it, then the Bills are going to be in a tough spot. You look at the Cowboys with Dak Prescott. So, you know, and Prescott, you know, I think uh, accomplished more to this point than than certainly Josh Allen has and accomplished more in his first few years than Josh Allen did. So that's the important part of the conversation. Teams are so afraid to say goodbye to a quarterback in a lot of cases, right? They're afraid Mm -hmm. to sit there and say, well, we invested this time. If we say he's not worth the second contract, that means we failed. We made a bad pick and we didn't develop him properly. But you don't always say that if you let another guy go, right? You know, you can justify it in other ways. You're balancing your cap or this and that. Even if they let Tredavious White go, they could find a way to justify it. But, you know, it's tricky with the quarterback. So that's the one where I'm not ready to sit here and say, well, okay, for, you know, uh, 2023, they have to plan to have X number of dollars dedicated to josh allen you have to Mm -hmm. you sort of have to plan for it right because you don't want to spend money that you otherwise would allocate to that contract but you also can't blindly assume the best case scenario and it would be great to see more of a, a middle class for quarterbacks i think it's started to develop in recent years but uh some of the contracts are crazy and 
that's why you'd rather you want it to go one way or the other you want them to be obviously worth it and then you're not really worried about what you're paying them because it's a no-brainer that you have to keep them or you'd rather it be the other way because you don't want to get caught in the middle and you know do the the ryan Tannehill, andy dalton blake bortles thing and just pay a guy to pay him and end up with less salary cap flexibility and still something to be desired at the position well the best thing here for them and you you alluded to it a little bit is that they still past this year have two additional seasons before they have to make that decision which is an important thing to note here because right now all they have to do is for the quarterback is allocate the whatever it is i think it's like seven or eight million for next year for josh allen and that's already worked in and then the following year when they would and i'm with you if if he has a similar season to the one he did this past year they're very likely going to pick up that uh, that fifth year option um and and have him play on that which will be a lesser dollar figure than what the the top of the class is going to get at quarterback, but it's still substantial that it's probably going to be somewhere in the 20s. Um, so they have to account for that, which will impact some of the, the decisions they make here going forward, um, at least for this coming off season and the one immediately after that. But I think the fact that they have that flexibility, it almost gives them, I guess, the the ability to re-sign one, maybe two others that maybe they wouldn't if that quarterback was already on that contract. And that's that's going to help them or help Allen become uh, that player that they, that they want him to be, or conceivably it would. But what they do need to be careful of is not overextending themselves. And while teams will get into trouble by issuing these big contracts to players, uh, quarterbacks specifically, that don't deserve it. I do think that if you, if even if you take the quarterback out of the equation, by trying to re-sign everyone, that is also going to get a team in trouble. Like, they're going to have to make a choice. If if they want, I mean, let, let, I'm going to give you four names here. And you tell me, and it's early yet for a couple of them, for a few of them, but you tell me who you would extend for a long-term contract. Taron Johnson, Devin Singletary, Cody Ford, Dawson Knox. I mean, that's that's the next tier past Milano of who they would conceivably re-sign to somewhat middle tier to above average deals. And, and who would you invest in? And if you invest in all four of those guys, you are going to get yourself into cap trouble. It's it's pretty simple to me. Yeah, I think you can let Taron Johnson walk. Unless I think so, too. Can, unless you can get him at a bargain. Um, he doesn't stay healthy often enough, unfortunately. I, I really like him as a player, but um, he's often I would argue against up. Singletary as well, just because they just drafted Zach Moss. And we don't know what Moss is going to be, but the running back, that's the, that's the other position where, like, you, if you start to pay running backs big money, you are getting yourself into trouble in the future. I mean, there are so many examples of it throughout the league because the running backs, a lot of it, a lot of times when you sign them to a contract, it's about what they did, not what they're projecting to do, and that should be scary with all of these different examples that have uh, that have shown that it's a bad idea. Yeah, running back would not be a priority at all. I, I don't know how they'll view it, and 
who knows what what it will look like by the time Singletary is up for yeah, a deal. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, because that market is not strong at all right now. It favors the teams. But, you know, the occasional, you know, running back gets a big deal like Christian McCaffrey did or, or Zeke Elliott. But I wouldn't really entertain that. Not, not at the top tier, you know, certainly. Right. Um, you know, at this point, three probably three of those four guys really i mean it's so early for for ford and knox uh, yeah it's kind of the problem but i think if knox can put it together a little bit in year two um you know he had some drops and, and was kind of thrown into the deep end but you saw some potential from him that's a guy who i would prioritize um cody ford based on the way he played and some of the questions of, you know, what is he? Is he a guard? Is he a tackle? Um, I have my doubts about whether he'll be worth it. But if he pans out, um, certainly uh, a position that you'd like to have some stability at and some young talent. Um, so those two would be a higher priority. And I probably have more faith in Knox earning that second contract than I do Ford. Mm-hmm. Um, Singletary is the best player of the bunch, but plays – um, the most volatile position in terms of market value. Um, and Taron Johnson just gets hurt too much. He could be a bargain, though. You could, you know, he gets hurt so often that maybe, right. you know, you get him at a deal where he doesn't get big money. But um, I also think they're good at drafting and developing that position so they don't need to overextend themselves for a, a slot cornerback. Well, I thought you were going to say cornerback in general, which brings us all the way back to the Tredavious White discussion. Because okay, is is that is that worth it? But we we already covered that. But that's that's kind of the point here. Like, enjoy the the whole complement of all of these options now while they're on their rookie deals, because it is very likely that not all of them, all of those names I just lined out right there will be a part of the Bills for the long term. If they are, then and that means something has gone wrong with some of them. Like like you mentioned, maybe Taron Johnson, you can get him on a manageable contract because he can't stay healthy. Or maybe these next two years he stays completely healthy and gets some bigger money out there than, than was expected. You have to be able to go into... And I think Brandon Bean has this capacity because he could have signed Shaq Lawson, re-signed Shaq Lawson uh, this past offseason and matched the Miami contract, which, you know, would have given him less flexibility um, moving forward. But he decided to just say, okay, we're sticking to our price tag, and that's what we're going to do. You have to be able to make those tougher decisions because, and then rely on your depth and development ability, which is what they have done over the last couple of years. So you can't just get too emotionally wrapped up into all of these players, which is what will be single-handedly the most important thing for the Bills and Brandon Bean moving forward to sustain what they're trying to do here. Yeah, and it points to the fact that this window they have is open in 2020 and 2021, Mm -hmm. and after that, you just don't know. Um, And, you know, I'd probably say you don't know i guess in 2021 either right um i think from a roster construction standpoint they should be able to keep most of these players together um into 2021 or a good good majority of them right they're not gonna um, have a ton of guys walking out the door but you know 
we don't know for sure that the I guess it depends how you define a, a window. Are we talking about a Super Bowl window? Because that should be mm-hmm. the goal. Um, and frankly, um, you know, this should be, you know, you're at the point where if you're not competing for a Super Bowl, what exactly are you doing? Uh, so I think 2020 is, you know, a huge opportunity for them. It's been talked about a lot, the way they've built this roster, uh, the Patriots being in a more delicate spot than they've been in a long time. And the point being, and we even talked about it during the season last year, is you just don't know how long that lasts. Sometimes it can look like five, six years, a team is going to be built to be a sustainable winner and things can go sideways. Uh, Your quarterback doesn't develop you're you, you sign you pick the wrong guys to resign or injuries happen and uh, a lot can a lot can happen in the NFL and that's why there's uh, that's why it's such a fun league because year to year so much changes um, a year ago at this time you would have been saying the Bears had a wide open window to compete uh, for Super Bowls and now Nick Foles might be their quarterback so mm-hmm. you know it, there's just a lot same goes for the Rams um you know, a couple of years ago, they were in the Super Bowl. Now, I don't know that you're confident that, that that's a Super Bowl team. So, Well, that's an, that's an example of a team that completely mismanaged their cap, though. Well, they, yeah, they built it differently. But, oh, yeah. But they did what, you know, you have to caution against, which is they paid Jared Goff a contract with $57 million in guaranteed money. You know, he got a four-year, $134 million contract. Like, you, you can't do that. Like, Jared mm-hmm. Goff is not that good. Uh, so, at the time, that's a great example of a team that was kind of, well, what do we do? He's shown a lot of promise. We picked him at the top of the draft, and our team is built to win now. We have to pay this guy. And there's not a an option where you say, well, we got to pay him, but we don't, you know, let's not pay him $134 million. The market demands what the market demands sometimes, and um, so you have to be careful. But, yeah, they obviously built their roster differently where they just have been throwing money at veterans and free agents all over the place. But, uh, you know, I think the way the Bills are doing it sets up for if things go their way, 2020, 2021, and even into 2022, they should have a good nucleus of players around. But then Mm -hmm. you're talking about – you know, a handful of guys here and there potentially leaving. Uh, Micah Hyde coming up on a deal um, in two years. Um, you know, some of the older players. But if they've built this right, if they've gotten some of the 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 important parts right, and if they've gotten the quarterback right, then the window should be opening. Um, mm-hmm. Whether it's a one-year window or a three to four year window probably depends on the quarterback because um, if he doesn't take that step, then it's just a really good roster that's capped out at maybe winning one playoff game, maybe not even winning a playoff game, maybe not even getting to the playoffs. There's so much um, variability when you don't have an answer at quarterback. So as many conversations as we can have and as much as we can dissect long-term, short-term, different positions, the values and the salary cap and everything else, all roads always seem to lead back to 17. 
<laughs> it certainly does. And of course, he will have the biggest bearing on their sustainability, but um, so too will will all of the the secondary decisions because without question that that QB is the primary and getting it right is the primary determinant of of where this organiza- organization will go ultimately. So we shall see uh, how he develops in 2020. All right, Matthew Fairburn, any uh, uh, any words of farewell to our listeners this time around? I have no parting thoughts. I'll be off to watch some watch some golf um, uh. here for there's live sports and so far it hasn't been shut down. Um, so hopefully they're, they're able to finish all four rounds. That would be a good sign for, for all of sports going forward. And probably the least weird sport to watch without fans, I would say is golf. Um, yeah, that's probably right. Because I don't know, most of the time I hardly notice that they're there and I don't think the players, you know, it's not like they've never played a tournament without fans before, like when they were younger. So, um, it's it feels normal, like it's a normal Friday in June and golf's on TV, which is neat. Yeah, and the Premier League comes back this this coming week too, so that that's uh, that's another league that's stepping it up, and and then uh, the NBA will be returning, I believe, in late July. So all all things looking promising, um, at least from an NFL perspective as well. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Matthew Fairburn. And uh, also one quick thank you to our producer for the past year, Danielle Lehman. She did a terrific job for us throughout the throughout the regular season. As soon as we uh, kicked over this podcast over onto The Athletic and uh, and we want to thank her. Um, she has given her pr- uh, producing duties to our new producer, Marissa Morris. So welcome aboard, Marissa. And uh, we're glad to be working with you and and all of those good things. So uh, thank you everyone for listening to us here on the Buffalo Beat. If you haven't yet, be sure to go and uh, check out all of the recent articles that we've written at The Athletic. And again, you can get a 40% off subscription uh, for the year by going to theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat. That's theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat. All right, so for Matthew Fairburn, my name is Joe Biscalia. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will talk to you next week. See you then.